Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of NASCAR Radio. This is episode number 40. I'm your pal Val, and with me is the amazing Jason. Jason, how are you? Hey Val, I'm doing well. That's good. Didn't really, um, well I was going to say two weeks ago we took the week off. Everybody was off, and on this episode we're going to, well, for those of you new with NASCAR Radio, NASCAR Radio is where NASCAR trading cards and NASCAR meets. In that subject, uh, this week we're going to talk about the winners and the highest finishing rookies last week. They were, they were off the week before, as were we. And we're also going to talk about the 1987-1988 World of Outlaws. I know it's not NASCAR, but uh, has an interesting uh, driver in there that we'll talk about. And then I think if we have time, we'll talk about a few uh, auctions or what other other hobby happenings that we're seeing with NASCAR. So, well, let's jump right in. Uh, last week, the Camping World Truck Series, they were off. They are racing this weekend in Richmond uh, on Saturday the 17th for the Toyota Care 250. That's going to be at 1.30 Eastern. And then over on the Xfinity Series, they were racing. And I don't know if you caught that one, Jason, but um, that was race number seven. That was Friday, April 9th. That was at Martinsville. And that was quite an interesting race. Uh, Josh Berry won. And if you remember, you might remember his name. He um, He's running for Rookie of the Year. And so he's the highest finishing rookie as well as the winner of the race. So that was pretty interesting. He led 95 laps. Uh, Ty Gibbs was up there for a little bit, too. I, I thought it was between Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry, but at the end, Josh Berry pulled it out. So I feel like Ty Gibbs is that name that we're going to keep hearing uh, throughout the season, kind of like Tyler Reddick was in, what was that, 2019 or 18? But I felt like we talked about Tyler Reddick a lot then, and now it seems like Ty Gibbs is that same taking his place. Yeah, Ty Gibbs. I, you know, if if uh, folks, if you're not looking at him, you probably should. I don't know if he's going to rookie of the year because he's not running a full schedule, but he's raced three races so far, and he's been first, second, and now fourth. So uh, he has an impressive. They were talking about him that he had a finish of 1.5 for his two races before this. So uh, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about Ty Gibbs for a while. Uh, now it's just going to matter if if he can pull off rookie of the year or not, or, you know, going against Josh Berry, who has a win and, you know, Ryan Vargas, these guys that are racing week in and win at week out. So I believe if, if I remember right, that the rookie of the year is not uh, any kind of voting panel, but it's actually by points. So it's not like, you know, the, the panel could be swayed or whatever and, and overlook maybe uh, somebody's uh, finish or whatever. So if you remember Josh Berry, you know, we've talked about him before and that he doesn't have a lot of cards. He is only in the 2013 press pass total fanfare. Uh, he's not even any, any other flavors of 2013 press pass. So, but uh, that's the same year as Kyle Larson and Chris Busher, I believe as well. So, but uh, there are a few things to chase with that. You have the base and you have the black and white and there's a gold version of the card number to uh, 275. The black and white is to 99. Uh, there's also a red version. I think that was out of maybe the blasters, if I remember right. 
Uh, and then there's some autographs, and that's the one I was. I think we had talked about. It's a little thicker, and it's kind of got a little window where they've taken the autograph and and recessed it in there. And uh, and he, it looks like he's got one of those authentication stickers as well. So, uh, but there's a few versions of those autographs with the base uh, 125, number to 125 gold version, hollow foil version and the melding version as well. So, but that's the Xfinity series and they're actually off this week. So we'll just have the truck race and cup race. And speaking of cup race, that was run on Saturday at Martinsville. And the winner was Martin Truex Jr. And so Martin Truex Jr. becomes the first one to win uh, multiple races so far this season. So, so that puts him in great standings for the playoffs. So he's going to be number one in the playoff race with the two wins, followed by Joe Logano with one win, Kyle Larson with one, Ryan Blaney with one, William Byron with one, Christopher Bell with one, Michael McDowell with one, and then Danny Hamlin at number eight on points. So Martin Truex Jr. is our playoff leader right now. And if you remember, we talked about him as well, that his rookie cards air in 2004. And he's got some different flavors. Again, these are all undervalued when you look at Haley Deegan or Ty Gibbs or or any of these other guys uh, or, or ladies. So other than those two. So he's in 2004 Press Pass Optima. And then we talked about it with the Beckett samples, the gold version and the EBA previews. Those were numbered to five. Do you remember those Beckett samples at all? Um, I absolutely remember the Beckett samples. I'm trying to think of when they started, but I had a store in West Virginia um, for a short time in 2002, and I remember getting them, you know, selling the Becketts, and they had the samples in them. My super collection of my baseball player, Josh Fogg, those Beckett samples – are like the needle in the haystack. I've never, ever seen them for sale. And even going back when Chris Olds worked for Beckett, um, I had actually emailed him and he answered, is there a checklist for these? Do they actually exist? And I think his answer at that time was, there's no way to know for sure. Nothing was ever put out by, which it was Don Russ at the time, but nothing was ever put out saying, XYZ player or driver was made and I don't even think I don't even think they knew uh, but I remember them for at least baseball and football I don't remember them for other sports yeah I remember collecting you know I'd pick up the Beckett here and there and they would have those Beckett racing card samples in it so and I was thinking about that when you were saying that is like you know it's one of the things i that's one of the cards I don't see a lot of. I know on some of the Facebook groups or whatever, they might pop up here and there, but it, you know, it's never any big quantity. It, it's maybe a handful. I, that was probably a big sleeper. Um, totally forgot about those, but yeah. So the Beckett samples, they were, you know, affixed with that gum glue kind of yep. resin to, yeah, to that subscription page or whatever it was. And um, you know, I never really paid it any attention when I got it home and, you know, opened it as, like, oh, look, you know, I wasn't actively looking through the magazines to see, you know, what card was in there. So, um, but 
you're, you kind of got me on a tangent here because I, I love these things. Um, and I'm so happy that you're talking about them. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I don't believe that all the magazines were sealed either. Yeah, they so weren't. You could flip through, see who was in there, cherry pick them. And then I'm sure people even stole them, you know, that had ulterior motives. But on the back where it had the text that said sample, there was a silver version and a gold version. And the gold versions, if I'm not mistaken, were 10% of the run and the silvers were 90. So if you ever find one that has gold text for sample, and I think that was for all sports, that's the more scarce one. But I honestly, these things are so overlooked, like you said, because you can get them for a couple bucks if you find the right one. It's just finding the person that you want, you know, especially in my case, um, somebody like Josh Fogg is going to get thrown out. Somebody's going to keep Barry Bonds or Andy Johnson or whatever. So um, they get overlooked, but I don't, I don't think they should, you know, and especially for racing. I think you're really looking at a really limited print run um, because baseball and football already were, and I'm sure racing was even, you know, probably half that. So, yeah, when it comes to racing, I think we are definitely uh, smaller numbers of, of the print runs for, for most products. So, I, and I don't remember the different colored text. I think the only ones that I ever saw were black text, maybe, but I could be wrong. It's been a while. I, I know I have about a handful. Um, um, I think you're right. There were some that had black text. I'm trying to remember which one. But this is black text on the back, so I yep. it, I don't know if I paid attention to the foil on the front. If that's what you're saying, it may not. I know it. I know it existed. Like that's not even a, a doubt in my mind. Um, but I'm starting to wonder because if you reminded me of the black, like the black was almost like printed on where the silver and the gold were um, foil stamped. I can't remember what the differences were, like where the black was, like what set versus um, the gold foil uh, and the silver foil, you know. So, but you are correct as well. They they also had black. I just can't remember which ones were which. So when you were saying that, I I assumed that you could get every driver or every card in the set. So it's possible That's that what I thought. That, that maybe not maybe it was just certain drivers i don't know it's almost probably like the tops um the tops buyback stuff where they probably just bought a five thousand count box of tops cards off of somebody and said here's what we're going to throw in you know to where we don't have 20 of everybody or 200 of everybody it's you know one from this one and 30 from this one right but yeah, so with the getting back to the uh, Martin Truex, so the Optima, there's a Beckett sample in there, uh, and there's Stealth with also a Beckett sample and the No Boundaries insert set and the X-ray, which is number to a hundred, and then Trackside, and so the Trackside is interesting. I think I skipped over it. I had talked briefly about it. There's actually a variation on that card. They did these on purpose. There's a uh, official in the back of this picture and uh, he's got a yellow lanyard 
around his neck on that white shirt. And then on the variation, there's no uh, ID lanyard around the official's neck. So I actually found uh, one of these. I had gone to a show the other day. And, you know, if you listen to the show and you and we talk about these drivers and their rookie cards uh, week after week, that hopefully, you know, you guys are, are learning about some of this. So uh, long story short, the guy had a box of cards and, you know, Martin Truex rookies and the no boundaries, uh, they were a dollar a piece. So I picked up uh, two no boundaries and one of the track sides. I believe it's not the variation, but, you know, rookie card for a buck. Yeah, I think we talked about him before, and he was one of the ones that I picked up as well from Check Out My Cards. Um, not quite that cheap, but, you know, somebody we've talked about that's Hall of Fame bound for less than five. Uh, oh, definitely, yeah. And so there's Beckett samples of uh, – so he's got two cards. He's got number 39, and he's got that, like, A and B area, and then a number 99 – and then on the Beckett sample, he's got a, a number 39 and a number 99 as well. There's an eBay preview of 39 and the gold, uh, the G39, G99, which is the serial number to 100. And then there's a trackside press pass autograph hat giveaway, as well as a high gear autograph. So, and... I don't know if you remember the eBay previews. I think that was something that Press Pass did where they were numbered and they put them out on eBay for sale and let everybody go after them or something. Like it kind of sounds familiar, but I can't picture it. I remember seeing some of them, but I wasn't, um, you know, diehard, you know, release by release kind of a thing back then. So it's kind of right when I was starting to get back into the NASCAR uh, trading card. So, and then the highest finishing rookie, which is going to be either uh, Chase Briscoe or Anthony Alfredo. And it was, I believe, Anthony Alfredo at the number 26 spot. So not a lot of rookies going for rookie of the year in the cup series, but uh, we had talked about him before and so we'll just cover briefly the 2019 Dunruss the next in line there's a few versions of that uh, that's an insert it's not a base card you have the next in line the cracked ice the 25 the holographic and then the explosion the 10 and then he's in the 2019 Panini Prism driver signatures uh, black prism blue prism camo prism and gold prism uh, black serial number to one blue to 75 the camo has no number, and the gold is the 10. Also, the green, the which is the 99, the regular signature prism rainbow, the 24, the red prism is 50, red, white, and blue, there's no number on it, and white is the 5. And then the 2019 Victory Lane pedal to the metal, and that's kind of like a parallel, not a parallel, it's more of an insert set. I think it's a 100-card set, but that's card number 3. Uh, there's a black version of one, gold to 25, green to five, and red to three. Uh, the next cup race is going to be Sunday, April 18th. That's at Richmond Raceway. And that starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's the Toyota Owners 400. So that's recapping 
last week's winners and our races coming up this weekend. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is the, since the cars are going crazy and, um, you know, we try here at NASCAR radio to, uh, provide some information of, uh, from some sources that folks might have forgotten about or don't have access to some of these older resources. So, um, the 1987 World of Outlaws and the 1988 World of Outlaws. You know, this set was developed again. Um, the gentleman's name was James Taylor. Uh, he was the son of John Taylor, who was a successful midget race car owner from uh, California, San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, he kind of got the love of this racing, I guess, in his blood. But when he grew up, he kind of was more into fine art prints and stuff like that. So, but racing never left his, I guess, his blood or was in his blood. And he noticed, again, like kind of like the Mac story, he noticed that baseball cards were doing really well and selling and that there were no cards for racing. Um, being on the West Coast uh, and away from, you know, a different region, different kind of uh, sport with the midget racing and the world out, outlaw, that's more, you know, dirt with, with the big tires and stuff like that. So uh, he decided to create a set for the world outlaws. And he thought, you know, he had the best shot since he was familiar with uh, the printing processes and, and, you know, how to lay stuff out and, and designing of the cards and stuff. So, so he, he started on that journey. Uh, I think it was the, the late fall or end of, so he noticed this in the late of 1980, late 1986. So he contacted the world outlaws sanctioning organization with his idea for a card series. He struck a harmonious chord with the powers that be at the world of outlaws. And after many meetings, he was given the go ahead and the world of outlaws collector's card series was born. So I'm paraphrasing and taking some excerpts from the, the 1990 August edition of racing collectibles price guide. These are on the racing card info website. If you go to the racing card all one word and go to the price guide archive, you will see Collector's World, Max Facts, and Racing Collectibles. If you'll click on the Racing Collectibles, this is volume number eight of August 1990. And then you can see the different pages there. If, if, if it's too small, you can click on the page and then save it as a JPEG and then blow it up. But uh, So this is where I am getting this information or kind of paraphrasing it. So uh, you can either listen to it or if you want to read, read it, you can do that at a later time. So before you go on, it's, it's crazy going through this and taking some of the excerpts and the notes on this um, article. Just, I mean, this is 35 years ago that all this started and probably you know, 10 years after he started. So 1996 to 2000, we'll say, is when the internet is really starting to take off. But 
just 10 years before that and 35 years prior to now, somebody in the West Coast just assumes that no other racing cards are being produced because it's just not in his region. And it's crazy to think of today where there's just, it seems like what's endless opportunities to gather information with Twitter and Facebook and the internet. And there's no way that this person would have not known about what was being produced on the East coast. But to him, it was like, Oh, it's a brand new world. It's never happened before. And just, it's crazy. And, you know, somebody that's my age, you know, I'm 38, almost 39. And it's like in my lifetime, communication has just exploded to where this, this kind of stuff just isn't possible anymore. No, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, I always say that like the kids now, they don't understand how much information they have at their fingertips. Uh, not that I didn't have it when I was a kid, you know, we had encyclopedias or you went to the library and that was kind of your, or you got stuff, went to the library and looked at stuff on microfiche. I don't know if who, if people know what that means or not, but it's little basically images of newspapers that you would look at on blown up and, and then you could print them out when you did your book reports and stuff. So now you can get all that stuff uh, on the web and, and stuff. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I put these early price guides and stuff out. And I started the racing card info as one of the sites that for archival, I wish I could probably, scan these in and turn them into text as opposed to images. Maybe that's a project for another day. It would allow more people to search and, and find it, but <clears throat> the information is really good and it tells the story. So, you know, I, I, I just hate that it's taken me this long to, or for us to talk about it. So we're going to try to speed up and, and talk about, you know, a new set each week and, and try to catch up with some of these older ones. But, this one is is real interesting because of the Jeff Gordons in it. So, but we'll continue the story here. So, one of his first hurdles was locating photographs of the drivers to be used on the cards. Uh, he learned pretty quick that um, the photographs weren't going to work, so he had to get get his own or acquire his own pictures and have them taken. So, so he waited, I guess, for the ed- end of the '87 season to gather all the statistics and declare an official uh, so he could use that for the production of the cards and for the printing of both the 87 and the 88 series. He Jim went to Mike Roberts Printing in Elmeryville, California. So that's where they were printed. And a relatively low total of 10,000 sheets were done on one solo printing, no second, third, or fourth printings were ever made, thus eliminating any error or error card possibilities. So for the 87 set and the 1988 set, there are only 10,000 total copies. Now, they left some sheets uncut. And so there were 300 uncut sheets for the 87 set and 1,000 for the 1988 so basically only 9700 complete box sets for the 87 and 9000 complete box sets 
for the 88. And when I say box sets, just think of a um, pack of playing cards. It's got a cardboard outside with the bottom is sealed and the top flips open with um, the sleeves of the sides uh, to hold it down. And, and they come out like a pack of playing cards. They're not sealed inside, but they're kind of loose. When they printed it, they, he he wanted to do the top drivers by points. Uh, some drivers he couldn't get photographs, and others he wanted to add. And I believe the Jeff Gordon card is one of the last cards in that set. I think he was like in 60th place or something like that, but uh, they included him. And Jeff is, you know, super young. He's got that little barely there mustache as a 16 year old, 17 year old. So that's probably the highlight of the set for most people. So I'm going to ask the question that I, I think other inexperienced people were probably wondering is I was always under the impression that the 91 tracks was the rookie card. Is this one not the rookie card for the general population? So the 91 tracks was available in wax and factory sets. This was only available at the tracks or, or through the James international art incorporated company. Mm -hmm. And it, it sold as a complete set, no packs or anything like that. I don't know. I still feel like it's widely distributed enough. I mean, you know, People were definitely clamoring, clamoring for it first. When I went after this set, or or when I looked at, I guess, the Jeff Gordon or whatever, I went after these. I can't even remember how long ago I bought them. And they were like, I think it was $25 for 187 and 188 set. Uh, it looks like in 87, they were the sets were priced for $12.95. And the 300 on cut sheets or 20 by 26 posters um, were offered for $15 plus $4.50 for shipping and handling. Okay, so uh, a couple couple things to add. Just a weird little tidbit because I wanted to know. Um, based on inflation <laughs> to today, that $12.95 is equivalent to just over 30 bucks. So that's not bad. I mean, twenty probably $29.95 for a set, um, which is pretty average. I think especially for racing. Um, but looking on eBay, those 300 uncut sheets, um, there is actually one listed on eBay for $100. So I would think, to me personally, that's not bad, especially with the Gordon. But as far as the Gordon goes by itself, right now, ooh, two best offers were accepted and it was listed at 300 so not so it was less than 300 but still to go from 25 there's a complete set for 170 so to go from 25 to 170 that's a pretty good increase oh definitely these have um ramped up here in the last few months like everything else but the last time i checked i think they were going for like maybe 60 or 75 for one of each set um, the 87s, they have like a blue ink back or blue ink on the back and 
They have blue on the front. The article mentions that they didn't like using or thought the blue was a mistake because it like washes out, I guess, in the printing process, make people look pale and stuff. So in 88, they went to the red color. You know, here it is. It says uh, in 87, the first World of Outlaw set card series was a real learning experience for James Taylor. One problem that arose is the first year was the selection of blue as the border color on the card fronts, even with very good engravings, blue, a cold color tends to reflect in the rest of the printing area. In this case, the area being the driver's face, some drivers appear somewhat pale or ill in their facial tones due to the border color reflecting in their price. To cure the problem for the next year, 1988, a warm red color border was selected to give the drivers a healthier look. Uh, there's checklists in the series uh the numbering is kind of off because like i said some of the drivers he couldn't find photos for and so there's some numbers skipped in there like there's no number 46 but there's a 51 and a 52 uh, also that steve kinzer i believe his name he had such an amazing year that he got two cards he got a card number one and a I think an uh, an A an A card as well. So he's got there's two number ones on the checklist. So this guy must have been great at art and stuff like that. But uh, he definitely didn't collect baseball cards, you know, to work on the numbering and and other stuff. So it's still crazy to me looking at these prices because I'm looking at stuff as you're talking that the uncut sheets are significantly less expensive than the set or the individual Gordon. Um, I don't know, just an uncut sheet has always appealed more to me than, you know, the cards by themselves. And you're talking a sheet for a hundred and a set for 170. And some of the Gordons were like 200 bucks, you know, alone for ones that said that they were in good condition. Uh, so I don't know. That's always kind of struck me as odd especially when there's only 300 and you know there are only 300 because they gave you the print run yeah i had totally forgot about these runs until i you know dug the articles out and reread them and like oh man there's only 387 sheets and only a thousand of the 88s few notes on the 88 so there were 10,000 with 1,000 sheets meaning there are only 9,000 box sets uh, there's also an 88, there was a three-quarter inch three-ring album or binder. Uh, I want to say there was actually a binder for 87 as well. One, um, so it looks like the 88 is the red color with white graphics on the cover with two PVC plastic type sheets inside. And I think the 87 was a blue binder, if I remember right. Now, the 1988, the second year Jeff Gordon, is notoriously off-center, top to bottom. Can't tell you how many 1988 Jeff Gordons I've seen off-center, top to bottom. A 10 is, like, impossible. Uh, I actually I saw a set, I guess it was online on eBay, and I looked and I saw it was centered. I bought it and sent it into PSA, came back a 9. So I was happy with that. I think the three sets that I bought at the time, 
the three eighty when I was saying they were like twenty five dollars a piece. I bought three eighty sevens and three eighty eights, and uh, every one of them were off center. So if you see an eighty nine, if you see an eighty eight centered, think hard about possibly getting that if it's uh, the corners are good. One other little tidbit for the eighty eight. And it was kind of surprising because it looks like nobody found it until they were making this article was that there are no variations, but apparently the printer ran out of red ink while he was printing them. And he found he had some black ink, so he didn't decide he decided not to tell anybody or whatever and printed the rest of the sheets with the black ink. So there are two colors for the ink back, ink back colors. Now, supposedly this only happened during the printing of the full sheets. And so I thought you can only get, you know, you the majority would be black ink. I mean, would be red ink. And then the minority or smaller print room would be black. But when I pulled out my sets to do this recording... All three of mine have black ink on the back. So Ooh. I don't know if this is true. Now, I did look out, check my cards, and some of the cards out there, or most of them, have red ink backs. So I don't know what is true and what is not true, other than the fact that there are two color backs. I don't know which one is the rare one and which one is not the rare one. I think you'd have to you. I think you'd have to use common sense on that and just logistically if they started with red and then ran out you would imagine they're going to run out at the end you know if you're whatever number you want to use if you're printing a thousand or something odds are you're going to run out between 900 and a thousand and then if you switch that color from red to black again odds are you're in that final 10% or whatever. So then you're looking black would be a hundred and red would be nine. I mean, obviously the numbers aren't right. I'm just making them up as we go for this one, but yeah. So I, I the article said, gotta be. yeah. So it says, and the article here, we mentioned earlier, no error cards were thought to have been produced in either the 87 or 88 world of outlaws collector card sets. But in the research for this column, Mr. Taylor came across a fact totally unknown to him. Another exclusive, the 1988 sets have red borders on the front and stats in red on the back. The card fronts were printed first. After the fronts had dried, the backs were printed red. Well, apparently the printer had run short of red ink very late in the printing of the 1988 series sheets and thinking either it wouldn't matter or nobody would notice or care, the printer substituted black ink at the very tail end of the run. How many cards have a black back? Question mark. Were any black backs cut and put into boxes? Question mark. I can say that's true because I have three. Yeah. And a few black backed uncut sheets have been found. That is all that's known. You've heard it here first. So the sheets on eBay for 88, I did contact him yesterday and he replied back that they were black backed sheets. Hmm. So somewhere in the run. Um, and so there's no telling, but there is a variation. So 
You can get a Jeff Gordon with a red back and Jeff Gordon with a black back. So one other thing that I saw, and I want to read it to get the wording right, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, when you, Because you were talking about the binders, and I'm reading the paragraph on how to get one. So after discussions with Mr. Taylor on behalf of the true hobbyist card collector, blah, 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 they were offering free binders. Um, oh, excuse me, not the binder, sorry. So they were offering exclusive double cards. So what was the double card? Okay, so on the 88, if you look at that sheet, you'll see um, that car in the air, number 11. Mm -hmm. And it's on the top, it's in the top left. That is the width of two cards. So that is only available on the sheet, but not in the factory set. So okay. when I look at when I look at my set, uh, I think there are two cards maybe in this well, no, I think they're just missing from the card sets because I did not see them when I was looking through the set for that uh, double card. So it would be, you know, like uh, the the 86 or 87 Fleers, you know, where you put them together to make that picture. Right. So I think uh, that's what happened was that he, they, when they cut the sheets up, they didn't put them in the sets and that they are on the sheets. The like the left, uh, the, yeah, the full, the full sheets. Okay. So they're offering the opportunity to obtain the elusive double card. And the best part of it is the offer is absolutely free. So they're offering you the card for free. All you have to do is Xerox a copy of your 1988 box front and send it with a self-adjust stamped envelope to, you know, whatever the address was. To me, if that was today and we're just sending a copy of my box front, I'm making a copy and I'm sending it to my mom's house, my <laughs> grandparents' house. Like, I saw that and I just thought that is so crazy. Thinking almost the the novice that he was, as far as being in the industry and you know how uh, crazy some of these people can be. I'll just use the word crazy you know that somebody's going to say well i don't want just one i want one for this or that and you know my kids and whatever um i could i wonder if it ever got out of hand you know with somebody sending in for multiple or but at the same time it was kind of like we said almost like that leftover card on the sheet uh, but i thought that was kind of cool where it was so easy to get it all you had to do was basically paper postage yeah, twenty five cents to, to mail it. Right, <laughs> an envelope. Yeah, I thought about getting one of those sheets just to um, have that because uh, it looks cool and it's not in the box set. So instead of them including it and cutting it in half, I don't know what it looks like. Like I don't know what it looks like on the back either. But that's also something. So if you're out looking and you run across one of these, like a double card, and uh, it's got World of Outlaws car on it number 11 Coors Light car that's it's from the 88 World of Outlaw set so 
and I didn't. I totally forgot that they had binders as well. Uh, and then it, again, this say, is. I love when the companies do the binders to match the set. Uh, I know they're not super popular. I mean, there's a there's definitely a small section of collectors that that like it and do it, and I'm one of them when I can get my hands on it. But I, I wish that we were still in that collecting mentality instead of the flipping mentality now to where some of these cool collecting um, accessories were available. And now that you mentioned, I don't remember if we talked about, you know, last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the 88 max that max put out a binder for 88 and then they put out a binder for 89. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we do 89 max, but yeah, it was that mentality back in you know, 87, 88, or, or late 80s, early 90s, where they put out binders with special screen printing or whatever yep. just for those cards uh, to for, to make that set kind of complete as opposed to just a generic three-ring binder. So, But it was interesting. Um, you know, they have a picture of Jeff Gordon hold, uh, holding this World of Outlaws binder and, and some of his cards, so... It's pretty cool to see him, you know, as a as a, a teenager, and you know his story was he wanted to go in IndyCar. He, you know, he he raced, but he didn't have the name, you know, Andretti, Unser, whatever to, and you need a lot of money to get in the the Indy. And I think he just kind of took to NASCAR and and did very well, I guess, in his testing and stuff like that, and to be, you know to go to NASCAR, you know, cause he could have went to Indy and, and we wouldn't have had him in, in NASCAR. So I think it turned out pretty good for him. Mm -hmm. And then to have this, you know, little short 9,700 or 10,000 print run of these cards. Mm -hmm. Imagine if uh, 89 upper deck or whatever, there was only 10,000 Griffies. I, I mean, can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's, I think there's like, you know, 10 or 30,000 just graded PSA cards. Oh yeah, for sure. So these are definitely definitely rare. Uh, try to find them in in good shape. They're very thin, paper stock, very thin, and you know it's colorful with that blue back. So uh, I think all of mine have been autographed. So <laughs> I'm sure you're not surprised. Uh, I am not, um, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I was even thinking of, you know, the petty that we've talked about the 1972 and thinking if this was this, um, world, world of outlaws was such a limited print run. Like, has there ever been, and I'm not trying to jump ahead too far, but it just kind of happened with that petty that we're seeing such a bump in has a print run or any kind of generalized number been thrown out as to, you know for what those are because i'm thinking if that petty you know we go through for baseball the the tops the mantle is the iconic card and then every so often another one comes and it seems like the trout is kind of taking its place for you know this generation so if the petty is there do you think you know this Gordon might be something along those lines at some point based on the print run. It definitely looks that way right now. Uh, again, this is one of the first ones that I kind of gravitated to 
and then back then though the 91 tracks was considered i guess it's like junk wax right and but you know it's not a nascar car but it's you know him as a teenager so it's definitely has a lot of appeal and i you know you just you know when you think of a rookie right their first card and and they have so much potential and then they turn out to be you know this multiple winning champion at the end or whatever you know it's that um before they were the legend they were so i definitely and like i said i totally had forgotten that these print runs were only ten thousand. i if i wish i would have remembered that earlier i would have bought more of these than before what you told i did everybody else well it's not that <laughs> it's not that i'm you know trying to hide what i'm doing before i tell anybody else because right. like i said we with everything going on, I just uh, wish we would have talked about it earlier for my own or right. my benefit as well. So, but the 72 STP and, you know, one of the other things we're going to talk about is maybe, or what's going on now, like in the hobby. And uh, before we came on the air, I was telling Jason that I'd seen a 1972 STP Petty sell for just over a thousand dollars. And not that the thousand dollars is a big deal, but the condition of the card, this is probably one of the worst cards I've seen. Uh, it's missing the corner. It's got tape stain on the back. It's autographed and raw and, you know, selling for a thousand dollars, which, you know, is, is a lot of money. So, but you know, and going from memory, because I also saw it, but I don't have it pulled up in front of me. When you say missing the corner, we're talking two or three percent of the card we're not talking you know 20 to 30 you know it's a small but it's definitely you know it's noticeable it's it's just not a huge piece but still like you said anything like that to where it's going to be a thousand dollars and it's not even complete i guess you could say that that's a big deal yeah i guess it was yeah, for, for that kind of money, I would expect all the corners to kind of be there. And then the tape stain on the back, you know, I would expect that from maybe like a Jackie Robinson or Mickey Mantle or something like that. And maybe, you know, what you talk about brings up a good point is that, you know, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at as I've been collecting it the last 20 years or whatever. You know, I don't I always thought of it as the Mickey Mantle to the sport, but now that other people i guess are recognizing as well so but just to kind of give you an idea i was looking at the pop report not and this is just for psa and i'm just bringing this out there to kind of show like how many have been graded and, and the pop report isn't necessarily an exact science but the total number of 87 world of outlaws it's just not the gordon but total is well might as well say it is a total is 546 and 541 of those are Jeff Gordon's. <laughs> so there are 122 tens and 193 nines. That's a lot of tens, I think. Yeah. And 169 eights. Uh, it drops significantly down from there. So 24 seven. So basically, eights, 170, uh, nine, basically 200, and then uh, like 125 for the tens, just kind of rounded around. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of, you know, if you're going to send, send them in your, what's that? Um, maybe you send three or four in, you get a 10 in, 
Probably uh, two, two yeah, uh, maybe two nines and an eight or something like that. Um, so, but you know, the total is 541. Now, when you go to the STP, there's only been 87 graded total, there's 11 cards in the set, uh, 17 of them are Richard Petty's. Oh, I was thinking you meant 87 Petty's, it's only 17 Petty's for 72. And you said it was, say, 540 Gordons. Yes. So you're looking 50 would be 10%, probably 4%. Yeah, so there's only been 17, 1972 Richard Petty's been graded total, and 87 from the whole set. So 87, 1972 SCPs, and there's 11 cards in the set. So Buddy Baker's at 14 cards, uh, Emil Langley at 11. Those are the two that are most popular or the most that I see. David, David, uh, Dave Marcus is another at nine. Um, you know, like I said, Petty at 17, just because if you find a Petty, you're probably getting them graded. And then the other ones are, you know, under... 10 or whatever. So the 72 STPs are very rare. So either people have them and they're not getting them graded or they don't have them. So we do, we are seeing a lot of raw 1972 STPs coming out of the woodwork now just because of the prices they're commanding. But again, it's not like, um, you know, like the Tiger Woods, the 2001 or whatever Tiger Woods, you know, they're, they're a, whatever 30 auctions or 100 auctions happening because there's all just the so many of them and everybody's they're all coming out of the woodwork in mass numbers the the 72 scps are coming out but they're not in any mass quantity so i actually talked to uh, logan about this the other day and it made me think of talking to dane turner so dane turner was one of the owners of the ray man collection and he did the sports star uh, did the racing collectibles, but he mentioned that that collectibles stuff that wasn't meant to be a collectible stuff that was given away tend to, um, I guess, be very collectible. And that's what he kind of told me, I guess it was about 15, 20 years ago. And so you look at the 72 SCP, nobody actually had to pay for them. They were given away. Uh, and since, you know, it had no monetary value to them at that time that they might not have taken care of them or they got thrown into a drawer and eventually maybe had been thrown out because, you know, they really had nothing invested in into them other than, you know, as compared to 88 max where, or, you know, cards today, you're paying for them, you're taking care of them. They cost uh, money. And so, right from the bat you know that it was made to be a collectible as opposed to some of this older stuff years ago so uh, that's why we might not be seeing the quantities they might have given away but then after almost what 50 years that one thing or another and they're in such poor shape because they're not being taken care of so the one gentleman who had the PSA 9 petty that I talked to years ago, they were left to him by his grandfather and they were put in a book. So they were kept in pretty good shape. 
but you know if those who maybe took them out and and looked at them or or put them in sleeves here and there and eventually you know either ding corners or put them in a drawer and mm. you cleaning out your desk whatever and you throw them away but i mean if I you were to simply if you were to simply go off of numbers and print run of the raw cards versus what's been graded and i know that it's you know it's not necessarily true and there's really no way to prove it but based on how many stps have been printed versus how many um world of outlaws world of outlaw cards and if world world of outlaws is ten thousand, and we did the numbers you know there's 540 gordons and and then STP, there's 17 petties or whatever. If the numbers would match up, that would mean for the STP, there's like 500 sets. So, I mean, if that's even remotely true, I mean, that's definitely going to be, in my opinion, you know, the iconic card forever. Yeah, I'm just running over to the Beckett to look at their number, and they have graded 24 total 72 stps with five of those being richard petty so they're also right on par with psa because psa was like say 85 or something and then of the 85 17 were petties so it's about 20 percent. and then beckett was the same five out of 25 so i mean they match up there at least so I yeah. think there's some credence to what we were saying on the print run, but you know, it'll never be, you'll never get an exact number. Correct. But with the Jeff Gordon though, it's while, well, uh, while the 72 SCP, I guess was more in the middle end of prime for petty and the first card that, you know, that Gordon is when he's kind of the youngster. So, right. But then he doesn't have anything until till ninety one. So, like I said, that ninety one I thought was more of a junk wax, but it seems to have been drying up pretty quick. And you know, with those black borders, that's also another allure, kind of like the eighty five Dunruss baseball. Um, when you find a PSA ten in that, you know, a gem mint black border card is is very it's nice looking. What, yeah. Yeah, that like the seventy-one tops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an, another one. So, but not to discourage the 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 ninety-one tracks. It's still also good stuff. So, what was the other auction? Oh, I think if, I was looking at Steel City, and I saw a box of twenty sixteen Prism. So that kind of caught my eye, since I have not seen a box of twenty sixteen prism hobby and it's quite some time but uh, i had to do a double or triple take on the price i think it was right at eight hundred dollars so was some, was this on their website or yes on eBay? it was because on the it's website. not there now so it's gone well so it either was obviously it was either sold or taken down to hold but they do have fat pack boxes on there and that's those retail hanger pack and aren't those the red white and blue parallels i believe so so but actually for that if you're saying that the hobby box is 800 they end a fat pack box for 400 and i think it was 12 fat packs 
if I'm not mistaken. Um, so 12 fat packs would be 36 retail packs. Um, you know, my opinion, I think I'd go after the retail for the price. I know there's not a, you know, um, a hit guarantee like there would be with the hobby, but for half the price. Yeah, the only thing with the hobby is that you get three autograph or mem memorabilia cards in there. Uh, you get 10 of the silver prisms, one green number to 49, and two additional prisms numbered to 99 or less, two winner circle prism, two competitors, and then three additional inserts. So it's four cards a pack and 20 packs per box. So that's the hobby box. Yeah, it was the photo I put out there on the Facebook was yeah, seven ninety nine ninety five. It's got the Steel City watermark on the photo, so it was it was out there. So either they're either holding it or somebody um, grabbed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I would love to know what that really sold for, because you know I was looking at it myself. Uh, I thought maybe it was worth about three or four hundred. Uh, kind of like what the 2018 maybe prisms running for hobby box, even though you get four yeah. autographs out of that. But because it is so rare, uh, I'd just like to have one box. So two things. I think because it's prism, if we were talking about a prime, well, prime wouldn't work. If we were talking about, say, a Chronicles hobby versus a Chronicles retail, I think you can make the argument for double the price. But with it being Prism, I don't think that the autographs are all that important. Obviously, it's going to depend on who you're talking to and there's variables. But I think overall with Prism, it's, it's about the color. It's about the parallels. So I think that's where that $400 decrease going detail for the fat packs, I think you could make a valid argument that, hey, there's a better value in here. Um, you know, again, depends on who you're talking to. But like you were saying with the price being $800, and if somebody did buy it for that FOMO, you know, that fear of missing out, you know, it could have been somebody like what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the 2021 20, Don Russ, where we all thought it was 100 and then next thing you know, it's 175 and it like shot up overnight because Steel City again had it listed at 175 and it was almost like they set the bar that everybody else was, okay, well, we're just going to follow suit. And then I like we talked about, it was like 24 or 48 hours. It jumped to almost double. Um, and I think it's that thing of things are so crazy. And I I hate that we say it every every show, but things are so crazy. You just don't know what what's going to happen next. And if you don't get it today, you could pay double tomorrow for the same exact thing. Yeah, I don't know when we'll see another hobby box. And I, you know, looking at the price now, you know, to your point, we don't know what it's going to be in the future. It made me think of uh, I was off last week, went to Myrtle Beach and went to one of the card shops and they had a basketball i believe it was top, tops box 
of the LeBron year, the 2003, mm-hmm. and the wax box was 8,500, and the jumbo box was 10 grand. Uh, now you're going to be able to pull, I guess, LeBron out of that. But going back to the prism, I don't know if you if we're there yet on that price for that 800 and something dollars. I would try to pursue buying complete uh, sets of one of the colors or multiple, you know, of the red, blue and green, because that's one of the things that I did last November was, you know, we were been talking about the prism and I definitely think the colored prisms are definitely a good value right now. I think in the future, when you see what happens to basketball now, you know, I could be totally wrong, but looking at what basketball is doing in prism and some of those colors, the 2016 being the first year of racing prism with Chase Elliott, as well as um, Bubba Wallace and Ryan Blaney, as well as, you know, the, the first Jimmy Johnson first uh, true X and everybody else, Kyle Bush that, you know, has got potential. So, We'll see. And there's also, you know, the low numbered, I think it was checkerboard um, parallel, as well as the white sparkle. I think it was the five. So it'd be interesting to see. And we don't know when we'll see another one of those boxes. So it's one of definitely bragging rights, I guess. But looking on eBay, you know, going back to the 72 STP, there's a few more out there, but, you know, they're very high. A few have been graded. But I think right now, you know, there's all high dollars with best offers. So everybody's just kind of nobody knows what what the value is. And so everybody is aiming high and and see where it kind of lands. So if you're looking at the 72 STP, don't necessarily be discouraged. You could uh, looks like a Buddy Baker sold for forty one dollars. I guess it was last week. So he's one of the more common drivers as well as Emo Langley, I think there was a large find back when Dane Turner acquired the assets to the Ray Man that some of these came out in those late night late 80s, I think it was. So the only other do- thing I wanted to mention was looking at release calendars for blowout in Still City. The only thing listed so far for racing is the tops formula. The Formula One from Topps Chrome um, is coming out next week, supposedly. But, you know, that is not your typical product. I mean, it's 650 for a hobby box. So, I mean, it's not the Don Russ or even the, well, I guess it's kind of like Prism now. But, um, you know, 650 for a hobby box is not everybody's wheelhouse for sure. And it's it's unfortunate that we're still seeing limited products for racing, and for the foreseeable future, nothing you know something could pop up tomorrow, and they're going to release it in July, you know, whatever. But as of right now, nothing is scheduled, um, according to both Steel City and Blowout. So, and Tops had that F1 Chrome, I think it was on their website. It sold out within I guess it was 15 minutes, but I think it was. Limited to one per box and 125 a box. So, but I saw 
uh, somebody had tweeted out that I guess there's 18 packs to a box. Yeah, so pretty, pretty standard. I mean, I think they just had, or unless I'm thinking of last year, but they had um, Dynasty as well, which I might be thinking of 2020. But, you know, um, they're at least doing something with Formula One, which is nice. Uh, they're doing the the tops now stuff with it as well. You know, I know you talk about Panini Instant, that you'd like to see it come back. So it's nice to see Tops is at least doing some print on demand. Oh, definitely. I think I actually might have picked up a few of the Tops now F1 cards. I think they had three cards. I picked up uh, card number two and number three because I think they were rookie cards. But yeah, I definitely would love to see you know, the Panini Instant come back. I think you know, Panini's losing out. It's definitely times have definitely changed when the last time they had it was in 2017. In 2017, they didn't even have Prism, they had uh, did select in 2017, so mm-hmm. they didn't bring um, Prism back until 2018. So, yeah, things have definitely changed in the card market since then, with from their minuscule print runs of the you know, low 50s, not 5,000, but 50. Uh, up to like maybe 125, the, the print runs are were embarrassing. So, but that's also another nice set to collect if you can find them. I'm still trying to work on the 2017 Panini Insta. But uh, when you said that, I did see a tweet from Gray Galding talking about him having an announcement next week, I believe, with Panini America. So I'm wondering if they're extending. They've signed on for some more races. so. But I'm looking forward to some kind of announcement. I think Tracy had talked to us when he was on the Hobby Hotline show. Uh, and plug here, I'll be on this weekend coming up on Saturday, 11 uh, a.m. Eastern Time, Saturday. But that Tracy had talked about Chronicles coming out next. so And also having a big announcement with the Chronicles. So I need to reach out to him and see if uh, and let us uh, let everybody know what's going on with that. So uh, I still haven't heard anything else about other releases. I think we talked about we expect or Prism and maybe another National Treasures or Prom or something, but we'll see. Um, I have seen Donruss prices are still going steady and Blasters, I guess, at 25 to I guess 30 people chasing the watercolors and sketchworks downtown and blank slates. Right. I guess everybody's still working on their sets, their optic and base and the orange and blue. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, if you're going to do four or five sets a year, <clears throat> excuse me, you would kind of plan that out January, April, July, September, Black Friday, you know, something, whatever. Um, so you would think right around now something else would be coming out as far as Panini goes. And I always thought Prism was like July and then Chronicles was like October. Um, maybe I have them backwards or something, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, the last couple of years, I think it was 18 and 19, they were doing Victory Lane. It was Dunruss and then Victory Lane. And then Prism, 
and then in the fall, because uh, they were trying, I think Prism was coming out around the national. And then last year, they really didn't fill a void for the victory lane or, or in that, I guess I should say in that April, May timeframe. And then Chronicles came out in the summer Prism. It seems like everything is kind of pushed back and then you have, you know, the summer starts with Chronicles then Prism, and then National Treasures, and then they're kind of done. So Dunrush runs the first half of the year, and then they knock out the other three in this back half of the year. Yeah, it would be nice to know what's going on for this, you know, this year. But it seems like every every year for the last couple of years, we don't know what's kind of going on. So yeah, but we will, but we will ask. We're just excited to get product, and just hopefully it's priced reasonable and not like some of the football or whatever i saw that was it select was a thousand dollars a box of football so i'm hoping chronicles is back at that like 125 dollars i think release price i think it will be because donruss didn't have any effect like it did for basketball and you know basketball is a different animal but there there was almost no increase at least initially from uh, or for Donruss. I mean, we've seen the increase since then, but not initially. Um, and then basketball prices for Donruss were way up there before it even hit the shelves. So I just have to be thankful for that, that there wasn't an increase like there was for other stuff. Yeah, definitely. And that if it does, though, then people will probably clamor for some of the older products and right. seeing some of that stuff dry up. Uh, and then the victory 2018 victory lane was sitting at about $20 a box. Of course, only one of the big three usually have some of these older products. So, you know, they went from 20 to $25 a prism. I'm sorry. Went from 20 to 25 for a victory lane 2018 blaster now. But the 2016 certified blasters are still sitting at 20 So, yeah, that's not bad at all. Not bad. So, well, I think we'll wrap it up here unless there's anything else we've missed, Jason. Nope. Can't think of anything. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you will share or like the podcast, hopefully you got something, uh, some information out of it. If you will share the podcast with others and share NASCAR trading card hobby with friends, we'd appreciate it. And for me and Jason, we will talk to you next week.